This is Selena. Akura de la Halle. This is Carol. So, welcome to the Peace Corps Tales podcast. Today is episode number 15, and we are going to be talking with Tito. So, hello, Tito. Welcome. What did I say? Hi, I'm Tito. I served in Mozambique, uh, in the province of Manica. I was there 20 months um, from May 2018 to March 2020. Um, till we got evac because of COVID. And my site, Vandusi, was, I think I had around 40,000 people. It was a district capital of a district of like 160,000 people. And I was a health sector volunteer, so primarily focused on HIV, AIDS, and malaria. Oh, wow. So you had a pretty big site. Um, did you feel like you were able to like integrate or have a community with that large of a site? Yeah, it it was, I guess, big in terms of population, but it was um, pretty rural and it wasn't very like developed. So there was like no major roads or infrastructure. Um, and I did live like in the downtown, like lived like two blocks away from the uh, market. And my hospital was really close to my house. So I felt pretty integrated. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're excited because me and Carol actually got to go to Mozambique for part of our COS trip. And so we want to kind of hear your experiences later on about like highlights and stuff and kind of see if it coincides with what we may have done throughout our trip there. Um, But first, we want to ask, why did you join Peace Corps? So I grew up in Chile. Um, My mom is from the United States and my dad's from Bolivia. I think when I was in sixth or seventh grade, um, my mom had like an American co-worker. And uh, he moved into our house. His name was um, Mario, Mario Williams. I guess talking one day, he told me about Peace Corps. I guess this thing that you could do and go and live in another country. I guess that just got in my mind. And then as I grew up older, um, Peace Corps became like this uh, vehicle for me to want to do, I guess, go through the experience of living in another country and culture. So then I was like, oh, Peace Corps when I get to the United States. Yeah, that's like was one of the highlights that I saw when I like wanted to apply to Peace Corps. I was like, oh, heck yes. I get to go somewhere else and I get to learn about them. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Okay, so what was one thing while you were packing before you decided to do this two-year excursion? What was one thing that you were just so thankful that you packed? It's so weird. My answer is going to be weird. Um, There was nothing like in terms of like... uh, like utilitarian like a knife or like a headlamp or some people take like water filters or battery packs no um right before i left i had gone to like a cute shop like a nursery um and i bought what i thought was a really cute uh soap tray (laughs) and so um i like never buy anything like cute for like why would i ever care about a soap tray but this was i found it cute and so i took a soap tray um, and I never use it for soap, of course. Like, I put my keys, my wallet, I still have it here, and I, um, I brought it back and I put incense. I guess just like a, a reminder, like, things can be normal no matter where you are. Oh, okay. Wow. That's really unique. I, we've never heard soap tray <laughs> for sure. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's on a meadow and it's green and it's like has a bunch of holes. That, I don't know. It became my thing. <laughs> that's awesome. But that's cool. Yeah. So you brought it mainly for like a little piece of home just to kind of remind you of like where you, I guess, left in a sense or like what was the mind point or mindset when you bought it, I guess. I didn't have to buy it. It was not a necessity. Right. I bought it like one of these like cute, a little bit like overpriced stores that you see in like gentrified like neighborhoods. A yeah. A boutique. Yeah. 
yeah, that's what it was. It was a boutique item. I was like, why not? So I guess it just makes me think things can be normal everywhere. Not like home. It doesn't make me think of home, but like, it's a soap tray. It's, that's all it is. So that's all sometimes things are. Okay. So I am curious now then, what was the one item that you wish you had packed? I did not take a hard drive, but I did it on purpose because I was like, I'm going to read books and I took my guitar. Oh, okay. So you brought like how many physical books then? I think I only brought, took like two or three, but I knew I would get books there because of like other PCBs or I would, you know, um, like read something interesting in a different language. Um, and I took my guitar and I took a lot of sheet music and I didn't really play guitar. If I would have just like been a bit smarter, I would like, you know, been a bit more humble and like taken the hard drive and like <laughs> done the whole exchange when it happened and not like a year and a half later, like when it had nothing to do. Uh, yeah. It's a good one. Um, yeah, because we know our one of our cohort people, Ryan, he brought his guitar everywhere. And like he was just playing all the time. And no offense to Ryan, like I'm not really into like kumbaya music. So for me, I couldn't appreciate it. But I know a lot of other volunteers did, and so I don't know if you did that, but if you did, like, kudos to you. Nothing against it, but. <laughs> yeah, I only knew, like, two songs. So we had the same songs every single conference, every single vacation that we got together. It was the same songs. It was painful, actually. No, actually, when I play, it's, like, classical music. It's not something you want to, like, play at, a like, a hangout. Oh my god, I wish you were there then because I would have enjoyed that a lot more. <laughs> no offense to Ryan, we love you. <laughs> yeah, we love you. Sorry, Ryan, if you ever listened to this episode. <laughs> um, so, Tito, can you give us like a little insight about how pre-service training is in Mozambique and if you have any like a good memory or highlight from that time? Yeah, so um, pre-service training, um, commonly known again, like PST, I think it was 10 to 12 weeks in Mozambique. It's done in Namasha, which is about two hours away from Maputo, the capital. And um, I don't know how it works in other countries, but, you know, they take all the PCVs that um, arrive in that cohort twice a year and they set them up in host families. Like PST in itself, like going to like the training center, the hub, going through all these workshops, language classes, guest speakers, activities, some of them fun, some of them like more about Peace Corps and safety. I guess it was interesting and like, whoa, you know, I'm here at first. And then over time it gets like, Ugh, okay, how many times do I have to see or hear about the same statistic, but from a different point of view? Was there a highlight though? I mean, it was fun. There was, I guess it's like the excitement, you know, that's like where you, when you get your first like initial excitement of like, oh my God, I made it. But I guess two years later, or like once you're like into your service, PSC becomes this like, it was so nice and comfortable. You know, you had a whole family and it was all good. And like, if you were making mistakes, you didn't know. And so you weren't like feeling like certain ways about yourself. Yeah. I mean, it was great. Yeah. So I think it worked a little bit different, but in the fifth, fifth week of service, I think is when they gave the assignment, right? And so a lot of PCVs will be going to, uh, a home where there's like an existing PCB or they'll be replacing someone and the other ones will be going to a new site or reopening a site. And so in my case, I went to a site where there had been a PCB and they had just COS like two weeks before, before I arrived to country. So, um, my house and like many PCBs was in part like inside a family compound, right? And so I went and I basically stayed in what would be my house. Um, and then the family in the compound give me an introduction to the city, uh, my village or 
town and then you know I had my what would be my supervisor once I returned or once I sort in you know he gave me a, a run of the of the town it was a good experience it was like you know a lot of people went to site for two weeks I stayed with host families at Peace Corps had maybe found just for those two, those two weeks or host families that had like hosted all uh, previous volunteers and it was great for some people and very nerve-wracking for others there was a lot of highs a lot of lows a lot of sites were um unprepared or the families had no experience other ones were just like mine like super easy like i had my own house my own restroom i just went into the other you know got to know them i think it was beneficial to go and see where you're going before you swear in you know you see a little bit you prepare yourself you vent with your fellow trainees and then once you go to site you're like you know what to expect and you can prepare better for when you get to your home. Yeah, I don't know if I would have enjoyed it because I remember when my supposedly replacement came to visit. I was I was very mean because I didn't want to leave my site. So she came to replace me and I was like, I don't want to talk to you. So I left site. I like introduced her to some people the first date and then I was gone. Uh, but I don't know, like to me, I think just because it was the way that we did it that we just went straight in like we don't know anything and just went to site so i don't know if i had enjoyed the two week site visit before swearing in well also they also like encouraged the volunteers who were still there at site to not be there remember so like you leaving was not the like out of the norm um because they wanted the like volunteer to talk with people i didn't even want to see her but two was like no you have to be one day there to pick her up (laughs) no i know i remember your bitterness you're like, you're like, stay away. Like, this is my place. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because like as a PCV or a new, like, you know, being the new person, it's like, I want the advice and I want, you know, to get my hand holded like a baby. But then at the same time, I don't want to receive everyone's, like another person's bias and experience. And like, I'm not you, you know, like, I don't even know you and I know I'm not you. So <laughs> Yeah, I will have to say, when I replaced someone, uh, they weren't, like, the best volunteer in, like, my community's eyes. So, luckily, everyone was like, wow, you're so much better. And, like, you just don't stay in your house and drink. Like, you actually help the community. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) that was a bad first try, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Going back to PSD, can you give us, like, a little description of your host family? What were they like? How big was it? How did you get along with them? Yeah, so it was an older couple. They had grown grown children. Only one of them was in the house. Pretty traditional. Um, I think their family, like Mozambican family, um, they were much more fluent in Shangana, which is what they spoke. Um, they had a nice house. Um, I guess they're, you could you know describe them as like middle class, um, but not in the main city, not like in the capital. Um, the dad, you know, was retired, had been a miner in South Africa, and the mom was. Um, like had that more traditional role where she um raised the kids does all the home stuff but also sold um like sandals and clothes and um buñuelos which is like donuts at the market and then um they had several kids some of, some of them were college educated and were teachers or nurses one of them was a uh, military and then they had um you know grandchildren they had a car it was you know it was a nice decent house um yeah, they were super kind. They like had, had experience with, uh, I guess, young Americans. They liked me. I liked them, but it was a difficult experience. Um, cause first of all, I'm super independent and like I, I have my mom, my dad, and my sister, but we've been apart and living in different countries most of our lives. And, um, 
So like for me, having to sit down with a family and eat every night or like have people cook my meal has always been challenging. So um, have, having that for three months was challenging. I think they were evangelical. They took me to church like my first week and that, that was a, like I was spent six hours in church and there was like tongue speaking and people doing these like to what me are crazy rituals. And people do that there a lot. I like just go full on board with like preaching, praying, believing. And people do it here in the United States too. They do it all over the world. Um, but it's not what I do. And there was a lot of praying every night in the table, which I like. Um, but it's, you know, it's still kind of difficult. Yeah, because it's different. Like, you don't do that. That's not what you usually do. And so I'm sure it was like, it's another culture shock added to the already culture shock of going to the new country. Yeah, I'm also um, Jewish. I do. I grew up in Chile, a Catholic country. And like, sometimes people do like preach at me like Jesus. And that, okay, I don't like being preached in general. But if I tell you I'm Jewish and then you preach, preach to me, then I'm like a little bit of bother. Like, I just told you I believe in something. Or that even if I don't believe it, I come from something completely different. Or not completely different, but just different. Okay, because I do, I do remember taking a bus to Vilancolos or something like that. And I was speaking Portuguese to the helper in the bus. And then all these people were speaking something else. I was like really trying to see what it was because I really like languages. I, but I just couldn't get anything out of it. I was like, I have no idea. But I thought it was related somehow to Portuguese, but it's really different, right? Like... Like you mentioned, Portuguese is the colonizing language, but like all the dialects have nothing to do with Portuguese, or is there like a correlation between them? Oh, I mean, no, they have nothing to do. Um, in my region, Manica, there were like, let's say, an example, okay, uh, 10 dialects, you know, six were derived from Shona, and four were derived from a completely different language. So there was a lot of people who spoke one or another dialect who could still speak to each other, understand each other uh, fairly well. And then there would be other dialects in the same province that had nothing to do with the other ones. There are like people who go back and forth, you know, they're multilingual. So they'll be like, hey, what's up? And then throw in some Portuguese. That's so interesting. It's so fascinating how Africa is so diverse, even linguistically. Uh, but changing subjects a little bit. Can you give us like a mental picture, like a description of what your home was like at your site? It, it wasn't. It was made out of concrete and it had a tin roof. I had two windows, I had some like um, holes in the upper part of the walls that served as ventilation. And I had what would be two rooms and like a restroom. But originally it was the family's kitchen. It was like a one dwelling unit that they used as the kitchen. And when Peace Corps approached them saying, hey, you want to have a volunteer live here? They said, yes, okay, well, you got to build, you know, something. And so they added two rooms. They added like a room to their kitchen. So it's pretty small, but it was good enough for one person. Was it a flush toilet? Let's let's get real. Was it a squatter? <laughs> there there was no running water, so there was a toilet, but the restroom was super small. Like like I could only stretch my arms in one direction. Yeah, that's how like our bathrooms were, but they were outside. We had like squatters that were like you know fifty meters away from any drinking water source, and then it's just like you go inside there and it's like super tiny, and you're like, okay, let's hope I don't touch any spiders that are here because it's outside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my host family had a nice house. And they had a restroom inside, but they, they didn't use it. Or I don't know if they use it or not, but not like usually. Um, I would say like their house was like a, they were like a pretty well-respected family. And they had a, it was like a, their big house. They had like three or four bedrooms with a restroom. And, you know, they had a plasma couch. They had their fridge, a dining area. It was like essentials. Uh, very humble too. 
um, then my like side house, and then um, it was fence, but it was like a lot of space. Like you could run laps. Did you have electricity? I did, yeah, and there was a well as well. And um, right before I left, so they did like a like, Chinese company installed uh, tap water for the first time. Okay, so now thinking back to your whole service, uh, do you have three highlights? Oh, I see a smile, so maybe something. <laughs> I have like memories, like I guess the way I focus on like what's happening in the moment or like my work, but I have like good moments, like things that I realize like, oh man, what I'm living right now is amazing or um, wow, that was really special. So, okay, the first one, I think, um, top moments, um, I think going to the funerals, I don't, even though it's really sad, um, despite all the challenges that um, people in my community had to go through individually and collectively, um, they always rallied behind each other at a funeral. Like, uh, when someone died, it was a big deal. And um, neighbors, friends, cousins of the friend of the neighbor who was the uncle of the guy who sold the Coca-Cola on the street would go to the funeral. <laughs> I think that the way people kind of respected that, you know, oh, someone died, I'm so sorry, you're not coming to work for a week, but that's okay. Um, it's something that was like a pretty memorable thing. Um, Work-wise, you know, working with kids was great and just like seeing them just get really excited about learning, but also about not like learning in terms of like curriculum or like the activities you're leading, but just learning about you and me and like, that relationship that you're developing and like the, the new things that open up for them sometimes or that they realize and the same for me and then just like all the chemistry that you have like any other new friendship that you make in anywhere in the world i mean just making friends with people that you don't get the um, opportunity to become friends with very often in the united states which is older people and younger people and people um like of a different socioeconomic or like ethnic background so there you're basically making friends with everyone yeah, that's a good one. I totally resonate with um, teaching kids with what you said because I was a health volunteer and my site mate was an education volunteer. And so I'd go to his middle school and teach sometimes. And I remember one time a mom came up to me and her daughter was in a class that I taught for one event. And she was just like, they're so excited. Like they were singing the song you taught her when she came home and she was teaching all of us about it. And I was just like, oh, that is why, like, I was hoping, like, that's, like, the epitome of, like, what I hope for, you know, as, like, a health volunteer, that you're just, like, please take what you learn and spread it. <laughs> so, okay, so going on with that, was there a top WTF moment for you? So this is something that definitely would not happen in either maybe the States or something where you lived here, in a sense, and it's just, like, wow, like, I can't believe that just happened. Like, what's going on? Uh, my favorite memory, it's a good one, in Mozambique, like, of, like, service. And one of my favorite memories in life, I think so, is, so we take these shoppers, which are, um, like, these really small minibuses, and, you know, like, by law, in any country, you know, it would only sit 14 people, but realistically, it's, like, 36, you know, like, everyone's crammed, <laughs> sitting and looking against each other. In Mozambique, um, breastfeeding, um, I think generally it's just like another you know um, act of day-to-day -day life so women will be breastfeeding um they're not going to be trying to hide her breasts or anything they're just doing it and um and babies there's a lot of babies going around all the time <laughs> and so you know can you hold my baby or like a baby's a baby you know if they cry they cry and sometimes people get annoyed but overall people are very respectful or it's just they don't think about it as a, something negative or disturbance Anyways, I was taking this shopper to uh, my capital, and um, 
there was this little kid who was um breastfeeding the kid was just like loving it like they were grabbing their mom's breasts and they were just like sucking all the milk and it was like the shit and um the kid was like playing with their little with the mom's phone and it was like the kid was like having an amazing time and i was just, everyone was looking at the kid i wasn't the only one like people were like noticing this kid that he was loving it then the kid like you know takes a little break and the mom gives the kid a donut and so now the kid is like playing with the phone, having milk, eating a donut, you know, and just like the shit. And um, and then uh, I don't know what happens. I don't know if the kid spits. Um, or I I don't know how breastfeeding works, but I get milk in my body. I get milk in my arm. And I just I just looked at it and I was like, this is this shit. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite. And the mom looked at me and she was like, what? And I was like, nothing. Your kid is just having a great time. <laughs> That's my favorite moment ever. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> That's, okay, I honestly want to say thank you so much for bringing up about breastfeeding. Because we've never actually talked about how it's so normalized everywhere else. Like in a lot of other countries and how, yeah, that's how it was in Madagascar for sure. Women would just pop out their boob if their child needed milk. Like, a boob was just seen as a food source. It wasn't seen as anything else. And so it wasn't weird for a woman to just kind of go around, like, you know, feeding her baby whenever it needed to be done. And so that that's a great moment to kind of like showcase like the normalcy of it and also just <laughs> I guess how fun this baby was having like enjoying his food. <laughs> Especially like in the United States, like I, you know, I'm not keen, like I'm not I don't see a baby and I'm like, "Oh, baby." But um I don't, you know, I, it's a bit a baby. We were all babies and we all breastfed, right? So when I'm like in an airplane or in some like social context and there's a woman breastfeeding or a baby crying, and people complain, I get upset because, like, whether you like it or not, like, it, this is, like, the, like this is the most real, like, everyone goes through this. Like, you cannot flack or, like, hate on the baby or the mom. And um, and I don't usually think much, you know, about, like, oh, they're breastfeeding and I see a breath. Like, no, it's what they're doing. But it was a little bit shocking there to see so many people, like, going at it. And then you get over that curve and you're like, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like, it doesn't phase me. And I think it it seems a little weird now that I'm back in the States that it's not, like, so normal where people are very, like, you know, you have to hide. There's all these things to, like, do all this stuff to be, like, I guess, courteous of, like, people outside when you're feeding your baby or whatever. But, yeah, thank you for that moment. That's really good. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> um, what about an OMG moment? I have, I have, there's something I feel really proud about. Um, that it's like something people don't see when you're in service. Other PCBs don't see. But um, I am from Chile. My dad's from Bolivia. I'm in the United States. And uh, my dad lives in Argentina. So um, when it comes to like feeling like uh, my identity, I feel like I'm very like Latin. And when someone says American, um, it kind of bothers me if they only think of America as like the United States. So when I think American, I think everyone in the land. And I think of myself like I'm American. I'm from Chile and from the United States, North and South. Like, don't, you can't, you know? So, and the, um, people ask me, where are you from? And blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, American, you know, white, muzungu, and I have long hair. And, um, you know, cause an impression. And I walked around with a map very often and I took out the map and I say, look, I'm from Chile. Uh, and, uh, I'm also from the United States and, uh, this is our continent and United States of America. People call it America. It's like, just going through that, and I will use South Africa as an example, right? So when people say South Africa, you know, they mean South Africa, but over there they say Africa, and they mean South Africa, you know? So just like that moment of 
it was a little bit of education, right? Because people didn't know, um, didn't have the, the opportunity, they didn't go to school for it. Um, and also sharing that, um, you know what, this is where I come from and I will pull off the map and that would just be like a great conversation starter. Um, so that was like a really good moment every time because I feel like I fulfill my duty of, um, you know, accurately depicting, yeah, like accurately depicting the United States and the people and its diversity and not like, yeah, I'm American. No, it's more than that. It's so funny that you brought it up because right before you joined, like, this conversation like and we were just talking like I don't know like 90% of the people that have been part of the podcast so far are Latinos and we all like have that in common that when they ask us where are you from is either is the first time that they are identifying themselves as being American quote-unquote because I do believe like you said that we are all American because we live in the American continent so that's all, also like another constant that I'm doing is like no, I'm American because I'm Colombian and I mean the, you know, the continent, American continent and just not because it's the United States. Uh, but it's also like the opposite side to some of us where it's like, I got, it, it was the same feeling like yours. Like I didn't like to be called American in the sense that I didn't want to be identified as just being from the United States because I didn't, I wasn't born there. I was born and raised in Colombia. So it's so funny that I guess it's like a common thing among Latinos where we are always trying to specify and like teach people about there is so many countries out there it's just not only like China or France or like the colonizing countries right so I think it's very interesting that you brought it up just as Selena and I were talking about like literally like maybe 20 minutes ago <laughs> yeah I mean it's a huge part I mean we I do that here it happens too in the United States but over there it has a, 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 like a more positive flavor Oh, I was just going to say, I don't know if it happened to you that whenever you got really tanned, you were like very proud of like, oh my God, I'm so tan. I don't look white. But then I would be really close to my Malagasy friends. I'd be like, shit, I'm really not that dark. Like the shade hasn't really changed much. <laughs> that did not happen to me, but people would laugh on my tan. They would be like, because I, you know, sit, I would have shorts on and they, you could see my leg as like brown. And then like it would go, the short would like, you know kind of go up a little bit up and they'll be like what what happened to you and i was like no this is this is my real color oh this my is god the that's sun. funny uh <laughs> okay so moving along from race and color and shades and being american <laughs> um what was your what is your favorite uh dish from the mozambique cuisine and did you learn how to make it um i did not learn how to make it um uh, well okay in namasha um during PSD, my host mom did something called matapa, which had like kale and then I think it had some peanut and um, coconut. And it was like like a veggie stew, I would say. So you add it over rice. So that was really good. I did not learn how to do it, unfortunately. They eat rice and beans a lot. And I just never grew up eating rice and beans. And in the United States, like a lot of like Latin food has rice and beans. It's just never been something I've been attracted to. Uh, but there, I learned how to eat rice and beans, and rice and beans is really good. Yes, it is really good. <laughs> and that was great, just like the rice and beans. and the... Oh, their chicken is really good. They eat like, well, it depends where you live, you know, but like and where I live, the, the chicken, which is like the, the grilled chicken, was great. Yeah, I always like chicken or just like grilled meat in general in Madagascar. <laughs> and they, in Mozambique, like, I'm not going to say for the whole country, cause, but at least in the places that i was people love cake yeah bolo people was it moist or um not always no but um 
like kind of very simple with a lot of decoration a lot of that like cream and like different colors and yeah people it was like an exciting thing ah bolo yeah let's make a cake yeah i would have fit in fine then because i loved baking throughout my service i would have shared all kinds of things (laughs) so tito was there any chore like anything that you either had to do at your house or maybe at the place that you work that was either very fun for you to complete either on the regular daily basis or like weekly or whatever or it was something that you really hated doing and you just postpone and postpone until you had to do it yeah nothing that's different from before i left <laughs> like doing dishes <laughs> doing my laundry uh <laughs> cleaning uh like i'm organized but i'm not clean um yeah i mean just like added you know to having to like uh, fetch the water and you know organize the dirtying dishes and different buckets and um make sure i'm using the right bucket otherwise i would get yelled at um burning uh, burning my trash burning trash is an interesting experience like first of all the privacy of what you're doing like you know in my community whatever you're doing people are going to be looking at so or you not care or you better don't or don't do it so i had to dig a pitch um to burn my trash and so sometimes in trash is like personal items sometimes you're getting rid of something a lamp or like a USB cable, uh, things that can gather like people's curiosity. Kids would go through the trash or maybe a, a dog or it would get really windy um, or maybe you're burning it and people come in like offer help or just want to see trash burn. I mean, that's fun. <laughs> something I never like got comfortable with. So that was like a, something I would dread. And, and if I had bottles, like I didn't drink that much for that service. Um, but I think I had wine once or twice in my house and then my family didn't like alcohol. Man, you can't burn a bottle. <laughs> you gotta bury it. That was rough. Did you try to burn it first and then realize it wasn't gonna do anything? No, but the little kids caught me, and my and my like my host brothers they caught me, and let's just say I had to bribe them with like chocolate and whatever else I had. Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. Because <laughs> I was, you know, we would joke about like drinking. I'd be like, no, I don't drink. Ah, oh, no, you drink. No, I don't drink. And then they walk into my house and they see beers and they're like, ah, oh, so you do drink. <laughs> During the time that you were in Mozambique, did you get to explore Mozambique at all or any place nearby that you can think of like the funnest vacation that you had while being in Africa? Um, yeah, so while in country, I um, I went to Vilankulos, I went to Tofu, um, and I visited other uh, PCP sites. Uh, Vilankulos and Tofu were, you know, pretty touristy. So there's this cool feeling, I think, as a PCB where you go somewhere touristy. Because you like the touristy stuff, right? And you, you're going to splurge. You're going to, like, treat yourself well. But when you compare yourself to the tourists, you're like, I, I know the drill. I, yeah, I, I, like, I, I know what's up and you don't. So um, so it was fun, you know. <laughs> you feel like you're better, right? It's like you have, like, this extra layer of powers. And it's like, guys, you know, you don't know nothing about this country. I sort of do. And I know what to say to get the best deal. You know, is, do you feel like that when you were, like, at the tourist places? Yeah, I mean, I was rough with tourists. You know, I would hear tourists say some 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 stupid stuff, and I'd be like, <clears throat> get on my high heat, like, my high stool, whatever. Um, but, yeah, country has a lot of beautiful places to explore. Um, I'm not very adventurous, and I feel, I don't know why, but I kept kind of safe. Like, I don't know, something of me not wanting to explore alone or do too many things, like, out of my comfort zone. Um, so I didn't get to see a lot of, the, like, small, cute places around my area. But 
the whole country is beautiful and just driving around just seeing the, the landscape and the beaches and uh, how the seasons change and because people work the land they work with the seasons instead of staying indoors in a building right so anywhere, anytime in the country is a beautiful place to be. Did you go um, snorkeling at any of the reefs? Uh, no, I did. No. <gasps> you didn't? What? Oh, you why not? Do you, oh wait, God. wait, wait. Before we give you too much of a hassle, do you not know how to swim? Is that why? Do you... I was planning a vacation like to, uh, it was going to be Ilia, the Mozambique. Um, and I was going to go maybe to South Africa and I was going to go again, maybe to Ponta de Oro right before we got even. So I think that was my chance. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Cause when we went, we went snorkeling at the like five mile reef and it was beautiful. Oh my God. Like that was the biggest fish I've like ever seen in my life. Like it was crazy. We got to go to Basaruto and that was like mind blowing. Okay, so I know before in our meet and greet you talked about like a nonprofit and everything, but first I wanted to ask, how did Peace Corps help you professionally? Well, I'm still in the first phase of like being um, fresh out of Peace Corps, right? So Peace Corps is recent in like my career and my professional development. So now I work a, as a resource coordinator um, for a nonprofit that is doing a lot of contact tracing in case of investigation for COVID. I think n n I am in public health and it, Peace Corps is recognizable in public health and um, it has helped me to people kind of relate to the work that I did and to like understand that, uh, oh, okay, he did Peace Corps, he can probably, you know, deal with a lot of one-to-one uh, -one scenarios or like cultural things um he knows maybe some one one or two things about like hiv um he can probably like you know train people whatnot so i think it's been beneficial but i've also only looked into like public health jobs i don't know how it would be beneficial in other like in business or economics there was there another project that you're doing as well with a nonprofit, or was this the nonprofit that you kind of wanted to talk about Oh, yeah. So um, I have a buddy there. Um, call him a buddy, but he's you know, way older than me and a father of like four and um, a teacher and goes to church. Uh, but he has this association called Moyo Utsiti. Um I know Moyo stands for heart. Um, Utsiti, I forgot. Um, and I don't know how to describe Moyo Utsiti yet, but the way I like to put it is imagine the an amazing organization with a bunch of volunteers um, and community members and they have a board and of like directors and they like very organized and they're very skilled and um, their primary mission I guess I do know how to describe them <laughs> is they work with OVCs right um, orphans and vulnerable children and they do a lot of education nutrition gender empowerment and children's rights I think um, the, the kind of founder and, and um, kind of main person, um, my friend um, Barroso Gagadiga, his whole thing is um, children's rights, you know, protect children from neglect, abuse, and educate them and empower them, and, and same with the families. So um, for, I'm turning 28th in November, I think when this airs right, it's going to be already passed. Um, but for my 20th birthday, um, I'm going to try to fundraise for them because one thing they need and it's the hardest for them to get is funds for them to build or rebuild something that won't get um, taken away by a cyclone because everyone involved in this organization is putting their free time. And so they, they're, 
so far just been doing the work instead of trying to figure out how to pay for it. And that's the hard part in Mozambique, how to get money. So um, I'm going to be doing some fundraising for them. So this is an organization in Mozambique? Yeah, in Vanduzi, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, for like the limited internet and cell, um, like and the cell phone that uh, my friend has, their social media is like impeccable. Like he's always up there updating, doing great stuff. So I'll definitely share it. Did you go and participate with any of the large conferences like that Peace Corps partners with? So for instance, like Stomp or Glow? I think there's like some that are very international across Peace Corps countries, maybe like different regions, right? But in Mozambique, we had, um, we did grassroots soccer, which was international. Um, I don't know if y'all know that, but basically you've seen soccer as like part of the toolkit for teaching about um, HIV, AIDS, malaria, and other like hot topics. And then we have Juntus, which is, I think, particular to Mozambique, which is um, like it's a co-ed kind of youth empowerment and um, development, um, like with a strong HIV and component. And um, and then we have Redes, which is focused on like uh, young women and girls empowerment. So I went to all those conferences, plus like, you know, the HIV conference and the malaria conference. So there was a lot of opportunities to learn as a PCV and Mozambique. Did you have to like apply to go to these conferences or were you able to just like sign up and go? I think for the most of them, you have to apply and you have to identify a community car- a counterpart before you go. So before you go, um, you're like, okay, who am I going to take? <laughs> That's a process on itself. <laughs> it gets easier over time. But um, three months in, six months in, a year <laughs> in, you don't know nothing. <laughs> I know, God, especially like three and six months. It's like trying to figure out if they're actually genuine or they just want the like extra money to go somewhere else. (laughs) And then for our last question for this interview, we wanted to know, for those who are still interested in joining Peace Corps in the future, what advice do you have for them? Uh, That's a hard one because I joined Peace Corps like I don't think Peace Corps is for everyone. And I don't think everyone should go to Peace Corps. Peace Corps is like a machine, right? It's like this big thing. And um. It's not going to go anywhere most likely anytime soon, and it needs to change. So um, there's PCVs who go through this machine, and you know Peace Corps stays the way it is. There's PCVs who go through this machine, and Peace Corps becomes more of what we don't want. It becomes more like unilateral, uh, bilateral, like United States and the host country. It becomes more top to down, and then there's PCVs who go through it and um, kind of make it better. Not just Peace Corps, but also represent the United States are better people in their communities and when they choose the projects that they are going to work on and they might you know build relationships with uh, like host country nationals or NPCBs they're a bit more um, intentional and conscious about what they're doing and so I think if you're in the United States thinking oh Peace Corps to abroad stipend booze friends travel you're only going to enable this machine that is already toxic and dangerous to keep going the way it is um so if you're thinking about peace corps educate yourself on everything <laughs> on your own identity on the country that you're going on peace corps on things like um imperialism neocolonialism all the isms whether you are them or are not you are in them you are in the same pool with them so you're gonna have to learn how to swim around them um or be anti you know anti all those things and have no expectations that's like the most important one. Be prepared, be knowledgeable, understand that you carry privilege and power regardless of who you are, that you're giving more power to this machine called Peace Corps, and that if you're going to be there, identify where is that you can do your part. And so for me, like sharing that thing about the map and like talking about the cultures and, you know, 
that was the the door entry when I started talking about what really happens here in the United States. Like the United States is a very interesting country and we have a lot of realities. So even though over there they got to see these like what would be wealthy PCBs, wealthy foreigners, in the United States we have a lot of social issues. We have a lot of wealth, yeah, and we have a lot of poverty and we have a lot of discrimination and we have a lot of innovation and we have a lot of good and bad things. So identify the power that you have as an individual, how you can make Peace Corps better and not worse, and how you can be better in a country that you don't belong to and have no expectations. That's my pitch. That was awesome. I really like how you brought up this about how that like the kind of Peace Corps volunteer that you want to be, either, you know, the one that fits up this white savior complex kind of thing, or is it the one that you are there really for the community to be there, to be present and to share, or just to come down and brag about the privilege that you have that you because you're coming from the United States. So thank you so much for that advice. I think it's very, very important to share that as well. I love it too. <laughs> I think about it pretty often. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for hosting me and um, it's, you know, great. It's hard to share your uh, your story or your experience as a PCB. Um, so every opportunity I'm thankful for. And um, yeah, good luck with the podcast, whatever the future awaits for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, that was, it was really impactful. And I hope it helps people when they're thinking about joining Peace Corps to kind of like educate themselves and just think about different things. Because I think it is hard in our culture here in the United States uh, to think about those things because we are very individualistic and we have like our bubbles and we don't really have to push ourselves outside of it. And so it's kind of nice like if you are deciding to do this jump and kind of do Peace Corps, it is very important to definitely take what Tito just said and look it up and educate yourself and just think outside the box um, because it is very much needed. So thank you again, Tito, for coming. Uh, for those of you who um, want to see the show notes from today for Tito, Tito will have provided us some pictures. They'll be on our website. And also for his fundraiser, the information will be there as well. So our, uh, our website is peacecorthillspodcast.weebly.com. And also if you want to see us and connect with us on, in on Instagram or social media, it's a PC Tales Podcast. So you can find us there. So thank you again, Tito, for joining us. It was a blast hearing about your stories. I really loved <laughs> how you were saying different things about your tales. And God, that like breastfeeding story. I loved it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It was really fun. So Belume and enjoy your day, evening, or whenever you hear this, everyone. Ciao. Belume ave, a mi manera que Bye-bye.